1: Championship Productions. Championship Productions, the world's number one source for quality basketball instruction, has over 1200 videos to help you improve your craft and win more games. Learn new drills, plays and offensive defensive systems from America's top coaches including Coach K, Greg Popovich, Gino Ariema, John CALAPARI, Tom Izzo, Bob Knight, Jay Wright and many more. To purchase, insert video title, visit www.championshipproductions.com or call 1-800-873-2730. This video is available via, via DVD or instant video where you can view the video on your favorite device. Be sure to download the app so you can favorite your chapters for easy playback. Championship Productions. Hello, coaches. This is Coach Kevin Furtado. I'm the head varsity girls basketball coach at Lake Oconee Academy in Greensboro, Georgia. I'd like to welcome you to the Championship Vision Podcast. Today is episode 26. I will be interviewing Coach Mike Cleansing. Mike Cleansing is a founder and executive director of Head Start Basketball. He is a licensed USA Basketball youth development coach and a positive coaching alliance certified trainer. Mike loves the game of basketball, and he always has. When you hear stories about the kid who is always playing basketball in the dark, in the snow, in the living room, that was Mike. He kept a journal of all his practice sessions when he was a younger player and pushed himself to excel at the game. Mike understands young players and is a great teacher of the game. Mike believes young players will have more fun when they can play the game well and play it the right way. Mike Cleansing grew up in Strongsville, Ohio, and went on to play Division I college basketball at Kent State University, scoring over 1,000 points in his career and earning a bachelor's degree in business administration. After graduating from Kent State, Mike founded Head Start Basketball and has been running basketball camps for youth players for the past 25 years. Head Start Basketball offers individual and group basketball skills. Head Start Basketball's mission is to teach the game of basketball the right way and use the game to improve character, develop leadership skills, and promote sportsmanship. Mike writes a youth blog, Youth Basketball Blog, Basketball on the Edge, that helps parents, coaches, and players get more from the game. He is a licensed USA Basketball youth development coach. In addition to his work at Head Start Basketball, Mike has also coached high school basketball at Strongsville Bay and Richmond Heights. He is currently in an elementary physical edu- teach- education teacher at Richmond Heights Elementary School. Mike is passionate about coaching and repro- improving the sports experience for players, coaches, and parents. Coaches, I'd like to welcome Mr. Mike Cleansing. Kevin, how are you, sir? Mike, how's it going, man? Great, how are you? Good, good. I tell you, man. This this is late night. <laughs> <laughs> this is
0: this is our this is our typical time. We uh we like to start right after every, after everybody gets to bed. That's our time to start recording. So perfect, man. We, we've kind of gotten used to that. So thanks for staying up late with me.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and actually, I don't know. I'm so used to hearing you and Jason together, man. You guys are like the Mike and Mike show.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit like that. We're it's funny because uh, again, I've kind of had the. Hoop podcast on my mind for probably a year and a half or two years and just hadn't been able to pull the trigger and uh, kept putting it at the top of my to-do list, top of my to-do list, crossing it out, crossing it out, rewriting it, rewriting it. And then finally um, brought Jason on board and he's worked for me at Head Start Basketball for a number of years. He actually came to my camps when he was younger and uh, he's kind of taken over that tech piece of it. And, uh, you know, we've jumped on together and it's turned out, worked out really well for the two of us so it's a lot of fun
1: well i tell you i'm a i'm a podcast junkie and uh, i somehow I, I can't remember yes um but uh i love it man I, I, you guys but what what i'm trying to do you like to interview some uh, well you like to interview a lot of basketball uh and you, the guys you're interviewing are unbelievable man i just want to tell you that i mean i'm picking up things so um, I appreciate you uh, getting those guys to share.
0: Yeah, thank you, Kevin. We appreciate that. And uh, I know that, you know, you've had on a couple of the guys that we've had on. You've been able to talk to Greg White and John are yeah. both, uh, you know, outstanding guys. And Greg actually is the guy who kind of has jump-started uh, sort of the process with getting all of our great guests. So it kind of started with Jason and I. When we first started the podcast, he and I recorded a bunch of episodes just talking about different, you know, basketball-related topics that might be of interest to coaches or parents or kids. And we kind of had in the back of our mind that we were going to do a series of interviews with local high school coaches here in the Cleveland area. And that was kind of the vision of where we wanted to take the podcast. And in, in a roundabout way, I got connected to Alan Stein. And, yeah. And I met, uh, I got a chance to, to talk with Alan when I actually wrote to him. Uh, this was probably about eh, it was probably about a year ago. Wrote to Alan and asked him if he'd want to come on and do a blog post, a guest post, uh, on my blog, which I started writing about four years ago. And of course, Alan's very busy, and I had reached out to probably twenty-five or thirty people that had a big presence on the internet in the basketball space, and he was one of them. And of course. Um, you know, he responded and said no, which wasn't very surprising simply because of all the things he's doing and the connections that he has. And at the, yeah. time, that I, at the time I talked to him, he was kind of shifting from the basketball space into corporate speaking. Um, and so he told me, he let me know that that was kind of the case. He wrote me back a nice email and just said, I'm, gonna, you know, I have to respectfully decline at this point. And that's when he told me that he was making this transition. And I actually have a friend uh, whose name is Craig Lucas, and he has a business called Authentica that puts on conferences. He originally was centered around excellence and took a couple trips to Under Armour. We've been to Torrey Pines out in San Diego, been to the Naval Academy in Annapolis, been to the U.S. Olympic Training Center and the Air Force Academy out in Colorado Springs. And he brings in, as part of these events, he has different speakers that come in and there's a lot of CEOs and different business people and just kind of people from all walks of life that are just trying to be the best version of themselves. And so uh, when Alan told me that he was going to, you know, be shifting over to this corporate space, I thought, wow, there'd be a great connection to make for him to be connected to my friend, Craig Lucas. So I connected the two of them. And then uh, about probably six months later, uh, Alan and Craig connected and they were able to put together where Alan came in and he was actually an MC for one of the smaller events that Craig put on with Authentica And when Alan came to Cleveland, he and I sat down and got to do an interview face-to-face. And so that was our first, that was our first interview show. And uh, I I did a ton of prep for that one, uh, just going through. And I must've listened to 20 different podcasts that Alan had been on and read just every piece of information I could get about him trying to find and make sure that I had enough material. And at that point uh, I had no idea, like, how long I was going to interview him? Was it going to be ten minutes? Was it going to be an hour? I, I didn't know how much material I needed to prepare, uh, but he was great, and that sort of jump started the interviews. And then he brought along a local coach here from Cleveland, uh, from Villa Angela Saint Joseph, Babe, Babe Kwasniak, who um, he and I have kind of been around in the same circles, but had never uh, had never met. And so Babe then sat down and did an interview with us, uh, which was also really well received. And from there, it kind of took off. I went to the USA Basketball Coaching Academy that they had here in Cleveland. Uh, that's where I heard Greg speak, uh, Greg White speak. And like I've told a bunch of the guests that have come on after Greg, uh, had I normally not, had I gone back to my previous life before I had the podcast, I would have <laughs> I, I listened to Greg. Uh, I would have taken a bunch of notes and I would have come home and you know I never would have talked to him. And, but having the podcast, uh, I went up to him after the speech and just said, Hey, Greg, you know, I really love what you had to say. i trying to start this podcast. Would you be interested in jumping on with us? And thankfully he said yes. And then from there, he's just been able to uh, connect us to a lot of great people that have to come on. And I think shared a tremendous amount of value to the people that are out there listening. And just like yours, um, you know, you're trying to figure out what's, what's our audience, who's our target, who's listening. And it's all kind of a mystery and a process of, of trying to figure it out. So I guess we've just approached it from the idea that we want to provide as much value to whoever the audience is and hope that that they're getting something out of it when they take the time to, to listen to it. And we certainly appreciate the people who are out there listening and who give us the feedback about, hey, we really liked hearing this or that or this coach. And, you know, especially with high school coaches, you know, there's a lot of great coaches out there that aren't well known outside of you know, their geographic area. So to be able to give those coaches a platform to share the the great things that they know and the, the knowledge that they can bring, I think it's been a lot of fun for the coaches who have come on the show. And then again, to your point, I think it's been a lot of fun for our audiences to be able to hear and listen to some of these great minds that have shared with us uh, on our show.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I, I, I got to tell you, every morning man. I'm trying I'm I'm saying God does does Mike have another one coming up but I'm I'm always <laughs> I'm always driving. I have I have a certain number of podcasts I'm sure you're the same way that man you're just you're kind of waiting for I actually picked up another one. Now I'm not a big of course I, I hate to say this I'm a big Rick Patino guy and he has a new uh, podcast um, on called Patino Press. Okay. And I, I know he's gone through a lot of stuff. But man, he's interviewing, you know, some great guy. He just kind of started, it, and that's kind of his new thing now. Um, but I shouldn't be promoting. I should be promoting the uh, the hoops head, man. Yeah. I, instead of you know.
0: yeah. Hey, you can promote. You can promote everything. Uh, it's funny that <laughs> exactly. You, said, funny you talk about Patino. I don't know if you listened, but um, Bill on the Bill Simmons show today, the they they were talking about how um, Patino I might want to get back into the NBA and I heard about it. Yeah. Assistant. so that's kind of an interesting development. Uh, you know that. I mean, I know obviously he was in the NBA twice before with the Celtics and the Knicks and, um, be kind of an interesting thing to see if he, you know, gets an opportunity to kind of reclaim his, his coaching career and go back to, you know, go back to somebody in the NBA, if somebody would hire him.
1: Yeah. And I'll, I'll actually, I'll send you that, that he did a podcast with, um, Billy Donovan and, um, he was really trying to explain himself on what things happens. he, he still has a lot of harsh feelings, man. um, and, but you know what? He got himself in. those head coaches, man. They're, they're, they're ultimately responsible for what goes on in their program. He knows that, but he's trying to still make some excuses, but, but as far as a basketball mind, he's one of the best.
0: Yeah. I would agree with you there. I think that there's no question that he can teach the game and that he can coach it. And, um, you know, again, like you said, I think one of the things that is a challenge for college coaches is, you know, you got those guys on campus and, You know, you got to keep an eye on everything. And it's hard to, you know, it's hard to monitor every 18- and 19-year-old. And, you know, your assistant coaches you should be able to keep track of. But we all know you can't be with every person 24 hours a day. And I think it comes down to one of the things that we've found through our conversations with all the coaches that we've talked to to this point is just how important they've all felt that their team culture is. And I think that's one of the things that definitely, come from the top and, you know, you get, you set the tone with, you know, your assistant coaches starts with your staff and you set the tone with your players and you set the tone with the parents and then you set the tone with the community. And if you do all those things, then I think it's a lot easier to avoid some of those problems that, you know, coaches sometimes get into like Patino did.
1: Yes. And I I tell you what I love. And that's one reason why I started my podcast is I've been mentored by so many great, high school coaches like Gene. I don't know if you heard Gene Durden on one of my, he's, to me, he's one of the best in the country. I just love high school coaches. Give me a high school coach. I can pick their brains more than a college guy. I mean, I love high school. That's why I love your podcast, man. I can definitely connect with the guys that you have. Hey, Mike, tell me about like how you, I know you, you've you been involved in coaching as an assistant and also um, your training Tell me about, like, who, who really had an impact on you becoming a trainer? Because I, I, think, I think trainers are unique.
0: So it's kind of an interesting story. When I, when I got done playing um, and I finished and I graduated from college, I looked around and I actually have a business degree from Kent State where I played. And both of my parents were teachers. So my father was a professor at Cleveland State and my mom taught elementary school. <laughs> And so when I got done and I went out and I started looking for jobs and I went out on these interviews and, you know, I was, you know, I know I had one interview with Nestle just as an example and, you know, that hearing about these jobs and they wanted me to put on a suit and go to work in July. And I started looking and I'm like, I, you know, I, I'd never have seen anybody do that. And so there was nothing that really jumped off the page at me that made me super excited. So at that point I decided to go back to school and, get my teaching certificate. And I ended up being a teacher and a coach. And so for, I guess for 15 years at the beginning of my teaching career, I was in the same position as a coach. I was with the one head coach for 13 years as his varsity assistant. And really, to be honest, when I got that job, uh, I thought that it was just a matter of time before, you know, I ended up leaving there and going and getting a head coaching job. And because when I chose to take the assistant job, uh, I actually took that job because it came with a full-time teaching position. I had off. I had an offer to be a head varsity coach at another school district here in the Cleveland area, uh, but that would have only entailed me being a study hall monitor, which would have been a part-time right actual real real you know real job. And uh, but I would have had an opportunity to be the head coach. So I debated that. Uh, I can still remember being at uh, basketball camp and just thinking about it all day. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And it was probably a two week process of trying to weigh the pros and cons. And eventually I made the decision to take the full-time teaching position and the assistant uh, varsity job. And I really thought that that was going to be a sort of a short-term play and that I was going to, you know, get my own program and kind of move on. And then what ended up happening is I became really good friends with the guys who were on that staff. Uh, I liked my coworkers where I was teaching and I really was comfortable there. I uh, enjoyed the process of being an assistant coach. Um, my head coach gave me a lot of responsibility. And so I had an opportunity to, you know, to have an impact on the program and an impact on the kids. And I really felt like I was valued. So it ended up being a situation where uh, it just, you know, I, I applied for maybe a couple other jobs along the way. But it turned out when I was in the elementary school, a lot of times that was a, a detriment to me being hired in terms of people wanted somebody who was in the building. And I think that was a little bit, I think that was a little bit more common uh, back when I first started teaching. Now I think there's a little less resistance to somebody being outside the building. But back at that time, I think it was, it was more looked upon that you needed to have someone in the building. So anyway, long story short, I ended up in that that position with my head coach for 13 years and then he left to go to another school and myself and then our JV coach who had also been with us that entire time. Um, he and I kind of looked at each other at that time. I had uh, my second child was on the way. My son was about to be born. And I just told him, I said, why don't you take the job? Why don't you take the head varsity job? I'll stay as your assistant. And I stayed on for two more years. And by the time I got done, I just wasn't um, I wasn't having as much fun coaching at that level anymore. I didn't find the kids as receptive to Mm -hmm as receptive to coaching as they had been before. And I found myself when I first started, uh, you know, I'd I'd wait all day as a teacher to just get to practice. That was my favorite part of the day. And by the end, I wasn't feeling that same amount of joy and love to go over and, you know, head to practice. So it kind of was a a decision that was a difficult one. I I kept telling myself, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've never not had a basketball season since I've been a little kid. I've always, you know, basketball season comes and I've got a team. And so that first year I didn't coach and I didn't have a team, it was a strange feeling. But at that point, I kind of looked around and for a long time I had been doing camp. And that was kind of the core part of my Head Start basketball business. Uh, It was just a summer job that uh, I ran some camps back in my hometown. And for a long time, that was just and again, a nice little summer job. I made a little extra money, allowed me to go on vacation, allowed me to build up some savings, allowed me to have some fun money throughout the year. But it was never something that um, I had a real ambition to grow simply because, again, I was working a full time teaching job and coaching and all those things. And so when I got out of, you know, when I got out of high school coaching, then I started to look at how can I how can I expand my business and so I started looking at the training piece of it, and it was just starting to become popular or accepted, at least around here in the Cleveland area, where you were getting, uh, you know, you were getting the opportunity to, to find gym space and to be able to get people and have clients. And, of course, I had a lot of people coming through my camps, so there was kind of a built-in market for, for training. And so I started out with people that I had a relationship with previously. There were kids who had come to my basketball camps, or I knew their families, that kind of thing. And to me, the biggest barrier initially was telling people how much training was going to cost. And a lot of times I would feel, I don't know if guilty is the right word, but I would look at it and be like, "Eh," you know, people would say, how much does it cost? And I kind of hem and haw. And by the time I had been doing it for about maybe four or five months, I realized that what I was probably charging was probably undercharging what people would be willing to to pay because of the value that I was providing. And so once I got over that, it was more of a psychological barrier, um, you know, for myself. Um, but I really loved from what I liked about training compared to the end of my high school coaching was that for the most part, when kids come in to train a, they want to get better. Um, and so you get a lot more buy-in and when you're telling a kid how to do a particular move or you're trying to push them a little bit, I found them to be more receptive a lot of ways than high school kids were at the end. And then the other thing that was nice is when you got done with a session, uh, mom and dad were happy with you, as opposed to when you're a coach <laughs> and you're controlling, you know, and you're con- and you're controlling playing time. And you know, there's people are always going, you know, if you're doing a good job as a as the coach of a team, there's always going to be some people that are unhappy exactly. because their kids not going to play, or you're going to make a decision that they don't agree with. But from the training side of it. Um, you know, again, if you're doing a good job and you're prepared and you're putting your best effort and you're giving everything that you have to that kid or that family that you're working with, then they're going to come out of it happy. And, and I really found that I enjoyed that piece of it. And I enjoyed the prep uh, to get ready for a particular lesson. So I'd have a kid that I'd work with and maybe it would be somebody that I knew or somebody I didn't know, but I'd kind of learn a little bit about them, talk to the parents, talk to the kid, find out what it was that they wanted to work on. And then I'd go about, you know, designing what that training session would look like based on what they were looking for. So I really, I really did enjoy that piece of it. And it's continued to be a part of my business since then. One of the biggest challenges that I find from a training standpoint, and I know you talked to John Beck and he, you know, one of the things I asked him about was doing it full time because obviously I don't do training full time. So I find that what's most challenging for me is to find the time to be able to do it along with balancing all my other things. And I have three kids. I have a daughter who's a freshman, a son who's in seventh grade and I have a daughter who's in third grade. So we're obviously, we're obviously doing a lot of different activities and I, you know, my, my number one thing is to be, to be a good dad and be part of our family. And so if I, I tell people if I could go back and be 25 again and be single, and I could just kind of open up my schedule after school and just say, Hey, I'm available from three to 9. P.m. Uh, I feel like there the amount of business that would be out there would be um, would be huge. But as it is, I kind of have to pick and choose. And I do have a couple other trainers that do some work underneath me, uh, underneath my Head Start basketball umbrella. And so I try to get anybody who comes to me with, uh, with training requests, um, I'm usually able to accommodate them. But I don't necessarily promote that side of the business as much as I used to simply because of the time constraints. And I don't want to have – more people in here than I can service in a positive way and make sure that they're getting value. Anybody that comes and works with me or one of my coaches, I want to make sure that they get the value that they're paying for. And that, you know, if, if somebody is coming to me, I want to be able to accommodate them and give them the best service possible. So,
1: yeah, I, and I, I'm going to delve into a little bit more on, how you approach teaching skill? Because I'm always looking at the best way. I think there's so many methods sure. out there. Tell me about. You're an elementary PE teacher, aren't you? I am. So hey, I let's talk. I want, I want to get information because yeah. <laughs> I love my K five job, man. I'm I, I love teaching. Tell me about um, what you're doing with your K five and your philosophy, and uh, just tell me a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, so I it's it's interesting because actually when I first started teaching, I, I've only been teaching phys ed now for six years, and I don't actually have a phys ed degree now. My father taught exercise physiology, kinesiology, uh, but what happened is in my school district, uh, I taught for the first four years of my career. I taught in the classroom. I taught third grade, then I actually taught fifth grade for about fourteen. I think fourteen wow, years wow. again in the in the class in the classroom. Yeah. And at the end of that 14th year, my school district had a principal who left abruptly in the middle of the school year, and one of my best friends, who was a longtime teaching colleague, she was doing her um, her field experience as a principal in our, you know, in our building for her administrative, you know, master's degree, and. So she ended up taking over on an interim basis when our principal left. And so at that point, the year before, our longtime phys ed person had retired. And there was a person in the building that got moved into that position kind of against their will. And I went to my friend when she took over the principal's job. And I said, hey, I know that you know person X doesn't really want this position. Is there any way that I could get the position for next year? And of course, you know, her and I were friends. We had a conversation and she's like, absolutely, we can do that. So I got an opportunity then to move into, uh, move into phys ed. And it was, it was a tremendous, um, it was just a tremendous move for me. Uh, I think I was at the point in the classroom where I was ready for a change. I'd been in the same grade for a long time and I was just ready to do something different and, you know, basketball and sports and, physical activity has been my passion for my entire life. So to be able to do that and kind of shift gears and be able to wear shorts and a t-shirt to work every day, (laughs) we're, you know, which I'm sure you can relate to, uh, are, you know, we're tremendously, we're tremendously valuable. And so then, you know, it's kind of been over the six years, I've kind of tried to pick and choose and do something a little bit different each year to kind of keep it fresh. Uh, Some years I'll do a lot of team sports, Uh, Some years I'll do a lot of activity-based type things where we're doing more movement. We might do some yoga or we might do some dance. We might do uh, those kinds of things. And then actually this year, it's been interesting what I've done, at least for this first grading period, is I've just taken and tried to find activities based on or games based on a particular skill. So it might be a throwing game. It might be a locomotor game and then play those for two days with a particular class. So they get it for two days and then I switch and give them another activity just to kind of keep things fresh. And I've actually found that this year that's really worked very, very well because the kids are always excited and looking forward to what, you know, what are we going to do that? Ne- you know, what are we doing? Absolutely. Next? What are we doing next? You know, what's the, what's the, ne- what's the next so thing? So that's been a lot of, that's been a lot of fun. And what I find is, again, you can kind of reinvent phys ed every year and even every grading period and give them something new, something different. And, one of the things that the first year i think that i found challenging is obviously I've, i'm a sports guy and have have been that way for my entire life so i think that first year i probably focused too much on you know team sports and competitive things and things that i would have loved when i was 10 and forgetting that there you know there's a whole cross section of kids that aren't that competitive that don't want to do those team sports. And so what I've done since then is tried to find a balance and, you know, find things that kids who are competitive can, can enjoy. And then kids who, you know, aren't as competitive can enjoy. And so like getting out the jump ropes and getting out the hula hoops and getting out and playing different kinds of games and doing yoga and doing go noodle and stuff like that, that just (laughs) makes kids, Gets them up and moving, and that's really my my entire goal. I mean, I have a curriculum, just like I'm sure you do, but ultimately, what I hope to do is, you know, I see my kids for one or two periods of 45 minutes once a week, and I know that, you know, again, they just like kids everywhere; they're spending a lot more time than you or I did when we were kids, sitting on a you know sitting on a couch, whether it's playing video games or watching their iPad or TV or whatever it is they're doing. So, really, my goal is for 45 minutes to get those kids moving as much as I possibly can. And that's kind of what I gear everything that I do around that theme.
1: I I can relate. When you start saying, of course, right now, Mike, right now we're doing, um, we just finished our floor hockey unit. Okay. And and we, I I love what you're saying because I don't do more. I don't do more than three days. I I don't know why I have three days, but I figured it out over my, my, uh, my years that after three days, it gets kind of, you know, it gets, it gets tough for the, and and I think you gotta, you gotta keep things fresh. Like, uh, but I love your jump ropes to me. My kids don't jump rope as much as they used to. And I'm, I'm teaching kids from K all the way up and I want them to be able to jump rope for a minute.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the things when, when I first, my first year, I think maybe my first year or two, I actually had uh, an extra period that my principle built into my schedule and I used to do a giant I haven't done it in the last couple of years just because of my schedule but we used to do a jump rope and hula hoop contest where we do one within the class and it would basically be just who could jump rope or who could hula hoop the longest yeah, exactly. and whoever outlasted yeah. whoever outlasted everybody else then that kid would qualify for the finals and then once a month I'd do you know whatever the jump rope championship the hula hoop championship and I'd bring the kids and call them down to the gym and they'd just go at it and the jump rope was always competitive, but what I found was amazing was the hula hoop. And I'm, I'm terrible at hula hooping. I can maybe keep it up for, you know, yeah. six seconds. If I'm lucky, I'm terrible. And at my students, um, by the time I got through one year of doing that and practicing from K all the way up, so I have a K to six building, I would bet there was probably only seven or eight kids in the entire school by the end of the year that couldn't stand there and keep a hula hoop up for a minute. I mean, it was just—it was incredible. It was incredible. Yeah. kindergartners—they're just whipping that thing around their waist, and so it was a—it's a lot of fun. And again, that's an activity that you know is not competitive in a sense of it's not—you know—it's not physical contact. It's not me going against you in a—you know—in a game of basketball or a game of soccer. It's when yet it's still something that's fun and that keeps kids moving, and that's really what it's all about—fun
1: and moving. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Maximize the time because kids aren't moving. I have mine five days a week, um, but all, but it's fifty five minutes, but it's nine weeks and, th- and they're done.
0: Gotcha. Then they're done. Then Got they're it. Done. Got it. Yeah, yeah I, yeah. I keep mine the whole year, so I do it. We we're on like a three day rotation schedule, yeah. so sometimes I'll have them two days a week, sometimes one, but it goes throughout the entire the entire school year. So it probably ends up breaking down to being about the same amount of time that you know, you're seeing your students that I'm seeing them. Yeah,
1: yeah. Let's take that. I mean, take, take that with your young kids and then apply that to teaching basketball skills. I mean, there's a, I think what you were saying earlier was if you repetitively, if you are very repetitive in your teaching on basic skills, kids will learn. I mean, I mean, just, just on basic skills. And I think we neglect that a lot of times as coaches.
0: Yeah. I think, teaching the basics. And one of the things like with my Head Start basketball business, a lot of it has been based around my my camps, which I've tried to expand in the last few years are all geared towards elementary school students. And I guess I started it that way back when with the idea that I was going to kind of make neighborhood camps so that kids who were in an elementary school could actually ride their bike to their elementary school and participate in a camp. And then it kind of morphed over time, but I kept the age group the same. And one of the things that I found that works really well is it's kind of the same philosophy that you know I just shared in terms of teaching physical education in the school setting is one, you want to teach them basic skills and keep them moving. And you want to make sure that what you're doing is fun. And so I think you can teach the game, especially, and I've gotten better at this over the years of devising and coming up with activities, especially in a camp setting. And a one-on-one, it's a little bit different. But in a camp setting or a large group setting, I think when you're trying to teach the fundamentals, what you're trying to do is you're trying to balance teaching them the basic skills and how to execute it. And then also being able to put them into dynamic situations. So you might teach, let's say we're working on dribbling. So we might have the kids, you know, in a good stance and dribble the ball with their right hand and have their, you know, left arm out to protect the ball. And they might dribble as hard as they can for 30 seconds standing still. And then we do the same thing with our left hand. And then, we might put them across from each other and say, okay, now you're going to dribble the ball and you're going to each try to touch the other one's knee while you're dribbling. And so now you have a move in and out, you're putting them in dynamic situations like that, which again, we all know the game of basketball is a dynamic game. You don't often get to just stand there and dribble, um, you know, with nobody making you move or do anything or react to the situation around you. So whenever I'm trying to teach, I try to balance out those two things where, you know, you got to have some repetitive block practice. And yet I think that as I've, gotten more into sort of studying and looking at how we learn, I've come to appreciate the fact that there needs to be a lot of random practice in there as well for kids that are, you know, for kids that are young too. You know, you used to think, Hey, you know, maybe with older kids, you know, they need that. Maybe the younger kids who are first or second grade don't need it as much. Maybe they just need the repetitive block practice, but I've come to believe that I think that if you throw them into situations where they have to react to their situation and make it more like, a game where they have to react to what's happening around them, whether that's what the other player is doing or whether that's, you know, somebody trying to run and tag them. I think that that ultimately helps their skill and helps it translate better to actual gameplay.
1: Yeah. I love that. And I, I know you, um, uh, spoken of Chris Oliver and I love, I love what he's doing, man. That guy's is brilliant, isn't
0: he? Yeah. I really love that. I mean, I, I, I kind of discovered, Chris, by accident, when I mentioned earlier how I started writing writing a blog like maybe four years ago, and that was kind of the time when my eyes really opened up as a coach. Yeah, uh, and, and I talked a little bit about this um, on our podcast a couple times. Where when I was younger, and especially coming off a playing career where you know I was a Division one player and came out of college and had a successful career, and you know you kind of walk into coaching, and you think, ah, you know, I I, I got this thing down. I, I know a lot about what I'm supposed to be doing, and you realize the older I get, the more I realize that I know very, very little about what's out there. And I've become much more humble and have much more of a growth mindset than I did as a younger coach for sure. And so when I started writing the blog, I started going out and researching and reading what other people were doing and seeing what was out there. And Chris's website was one of the ones I came across and, you know, his basketball decision training, I think is one of the things that, you know, I've incorporated it to some degree into, what I do as a, as a trainer. Um, I, cause I really like, again, it makes you think it's getting you to do more than just those repetitive. I'm doing the same thing. I'm taking one dribble to the right and shooting a jump shot. I'm taking one dribble to the left. I'm shooting a jump shot. So you're getting that variance. And I just think that the things that he's been able to do and they, you know, again, he's got a great blog and he, I know he has a membership model and, uh, on his website and I've taken some of the things and shared them on my, on my side as well. So I really like what he's doing. I think that he's made it a point to have people understand that it's not just about, you know, can I take one dribble to the right and shoot a jumper when there's no defense out there and I know what's coming. I have to be able to react in a game under a dynamic set of circumstances. And the more you can practice like what your game looks like, I think the better the trend, you know, the better, the translation of learning is, for that player who's working on those particular skills.
1: Yeah. He makes you think, I mean, I, I listen to his podcast. I'm sure you're not surprised by that, but, um, <laughs> um, but I always talk. he always talks about you have to have offense and defense together. It's like, and you know what, we've added that into our program this year because even when we're practicing five on zero Mike with our offense, we put a defense out there, whether they're, they're walking they're, that's a walk, but it's never five on zero. He really, and that's really helped us because it's given the kids a better appreciation of spacing and how to run the offense.
0: Yeah, I agree hundred percent. That's one of the things that I stole from him too. And I'll, I'll give you an example of a drill that I've done. I've done it with, you know, small group instruction from a training standpoint. And then I've, do, I've done it when I've coached um, when I've coached my kids, when, when I've coached their teams and, what I do is I'll put and make three lines. And so those three lines will start out at half court. And then we'll say, we'll have three cones in front of those lines, maybe, you know, two or three dribbles out in front of that. And the kids will go to the cone and they'll make some kind of a change of direction move. So They might cross over between the legs, behind the back, whatever. And then I'll put one defender in the lane and that one defender, as the kids are coming down, that one defender will choose one of those three guys to guard. And so two guys are going to continue with the drill the way it would be if it was, uh, you know, with no defender where they'll make whatever their move is and then they'll take whatever finishing shot that, you know, we set up for the drill, whether it's a jump shot or whatever it is that they're working on. And then the other guy who gets picked up by the defender has to now go one-on-one and make a move and play. And so you don't know when you're dribbling in there, you don't know, is, am I going to be the guy that, that the defender is going to pick up or am I not going to be the guy that the defender is going to pick up? And by doing all that, you know, it just adds, again, an element of surprise and adds to your point it adds that offense defense piece of it into what you know into what you're doing so I think it's really something that you can incorporate very 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 easily as a coach and and I think it's something that I've found to be tremendously valuable in terms of making the practices more interesting making the drills more challenging for kids and yet at the same time you're still able to show the kids what you want them to do and be able to have them practicing whatever it is that that fundamental skill that you're trying to work on in a particular
1: drill. Yeah, and it's, it's game-like. We, we talk about that with our team all the time. It's like, you know, we want to make this as game-like as possible because how many drills are out there, Mike, that they, <laughs> they have nothing to do with the game? I, I watch really good coaches teach drills that they reduce in the game. Right. I know.
0: I I don't know if you saw on Twitter. I know we got a, I know Greg and a bunch of other coaches that were on kind of were commenting about the coach who was catching guys as they were falling backwards from the three point line. I don't know if you saw that at all on Twitter. (laughs) But there was was a coach and he was was standing at the three point line, like facing out away from the basket. And his players were also facing out away from the basket. And then his players would kind of do a trust fall into his arms and then he'd flip them back up. And then they'd square up and take a shot. It was, it was one of the most bizarre (laughs) drills, you know, to your point of, you know, what's, what's the, what's the translation of, you know, what's the translation of that particular move? You know, it just, it just doesn't make sense. So yeah, you try to make things when you're doing a drill, you try to make it as game-like as you possibly can. And when you have to have an offense and a defense because that's what the game has. So you certainly want to make sure that you can incorporate that as a coach as much, yeah. as much as humanly possible.
1: Yeah. And, and where, where my struggle comes in is like, for example, I'm, I'm at a small school. I have IT. I have middle school and varsity at the same time. Okay. Um, and it's a struggle. I just want to tell you that. I mean, I have some good little players, but there's a big differential in talent and you're trying to get the varsity work and the middle school at the same time. And I'm telling you now, basically what I do is we all do the same thing. And then we break up at the last part to kind of break up because I want consistency in my program. Tell me a little, give me a little feedback on that.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a great way to approach it. I think if you have, you know, again, especially depending upon the size of your staff yeah. and depending on how you have, you know, how many baskets you have access to and all that kind of thing. I think you can accomplish the same things with the same drill for kids at different levels if you're tweaking what you're doing slightly at you know one end. So if you have your varsity team at one end and you have your middle school team at the other, there's some slight tweaks and things that you can do where you're still working on the same basic drill, but you're just adding maybe another wrinkle, another layer of teaching into what you're doing. So, let's say again, maybe you're working on a shell drill or, you know, you're working on some kind of defensive drill on one end. So, maybe when you're working with the middle school, the only thing the offensive player can do after they pass the ball to the wing is make a basket cut. Whereas you're working with the varsity, maybe they can basket cut or they can go, you know, set a ball screen or you, know, you give them more options. So, you're working on the same basic concepts, but you're just layering it so that those players that, you know, have a little bit more skill or a little bit higher basketball IQ or a little bit older have something that pushes them and challenges them.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that, that that's 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 the key right there. You got to make those varsity girls that You got to push them harder. Either you have harder constraints, or you make them go disadvantaged, Right. I mean, right. I think. Yeah, <laughs> I, that's one of the things. Yeah,
0: yeah, I agree. That's one of the things that I've done a lot more. I started doing it with my son's team um, last spring and last winter was doing a lot of advantage, disadvantage. So we'd go, you know, we'd have, even if it was three on three, I might put the defender behind the offensive player with the ball and, you know, the, the defensive players behind the offensive player. And then he would hand the ball around the players back to him. And so now you're already kind of in a three on two scramble type situation. Uh, And then people got to react and help and get back and recover and that kind of thing. Uh, We would do a lot of, situations where we might play out of a certain action that we wanted to start our offense with. So we might say, okay, this drill, we're going to play three on three, but before we play three on three live where you can do anything you want, this action has to take place. And so you're working on something that's part of your offense, or you're working on something that you need to practice from a defensive standpoint. So maybe your team is seeing, uh, you know, again, a lot of pick and rolls. So then we work on, okay, we're going to start out this drill, with a screen roll because a lot of teams are running this against us and we need to work on how we're going to defend it and what we're going to do. So I think that's something that I probably didn't do as much in the past. Uh, I think probably in the past there was more, okay, we're going to go five on five and then you're kind of trying to isolate those things during a five on five setting, which is a lot harder. And so by going with some short, by going with drills that are those small sided teams, I think you get a lot more benefit and you can kind of dial in as a coach and watch and and observe what your players are doing. And then consequently, as you're seeing what they're doing, you're able to help them more by watching. Specific about your focus, as opposed to a lot of things sometimes tend to get lost when you go five on five. I know, especially if, you know, there are a lot of times when I'm coaching again at the youth level where it might only be me. And so when you're watching a five on five setting as one set of eyes, it's difficult to monitor and watch all the things that you want to watch. And so when you break it down into smaller increments and, you know, only put two guys out on the floor, three three players out on the floor, it makes it a lot easier to be able to see what's going on, to be able to help kids improve their technology. I love that. Cause
1: our best drill, because I, I, yeah, I totally agree, because when we go five on five, we get so many more breakdowns and but our best drill is what I call a get back drill. It's a full court three on, it's a three on three drill. And uh, it's a great drill where offense always goes to defense. Cause I don't think we practice transition enough. And then, right. and then the the outlets from the side, they get an outlet and they basically it's, you know, it's like a, your typical, like, you know, three on two drill, you always run, but, but instead we have those three defenders sprint back on defense Offense outlets and it forces the defense to really get back and it's continuing. Yeah, it's a okay. great drill. I love the. I, I'm sure you've seen it before, but um, but we always get so much out of that. I hate I hate stopping it and, going back and yeah, I hate I know. that.
0: That's I know, I know that's one of the things that I think as a coach is one of the biggest challenges that every coach faces is how much do I stop action during practice. And we talked to coach Jamie Smith from Solon, Iowa, uh, who's the girls coach there. And he talked about how over the course of his coaching career, he's become much better at not stopping play. He feels like when you stop play that you're kind of stifling players creativity because you're always making them afraid that you're going to stop play and talk about their mistakes. And at the same time, I think that's something that for a lot of coaches, it's very, very difficult to, you know, see a mistake and not want to stop it. You know, every time you see something that goes wrong, but we all know if you're stopping every time you see something that goes wrong, there's going to be very little opportunity for the kids actually to play. So finding that, finding that balance, I think is, is a really, really difficult thing that all coaches face. And I think for, I think for each of us, it's kind of, I think it's kind of just a personal feeling about when and how much, you know, you need to stop it. But I, for me, I think that, you know, Greg White has a great saying that, you know, you want to coach in tweets rather than, you know, quote in, in blogs. And you want to make things quick so that you can make your point, get out and get them back playing. Because ultimately, again, probably after the first 10 seconds of what you're saying, most of what you're saying at that point is for your own benefit and not necessarily for the benefit right. of your players. They probably tune you out. So if you can get your message across in 10 seconds or less and get them back active and doing what they do,
1: then I think you' and that is the hardest thing to teach coaches my assistant coach I mean, it's tough and it's also tough for me too um and that's something that I think we're always working on like you're saying hey Matt King I spoke to earlier I love Matt I mean
0: <laughs> Matt was fantastic yeah I'll tell you it's funny it's funny because matt when uh when Greg connected us with Matt uh, I ended up I tried to do a little call before we you know record with somebody. Uh, in the day or two before, I just give him a call and just kind of get my heads up and it's good to get an opportunity to talk to them before you jump on just so you kind of have an idea of what their personality's like and how talkative they are and When I talked to Matt, he and I ended up talking for almost an hour in our in our pre <laughs> in our pre podcast call, and then when we got done, and he's like, "We should have just recorded this, and then we could have been done we could have just had a recorded You're right. and call and uh Matt's just uh, I, I think that he. As much as any guest we've had, he just has a very, very interesting and I think very, very positive view of what basketball is and what it can become and what the ultimate purpose of the game is. I think that's one of the things that parents, coaches, all of us in the game sometimes lose perspective on why it is that we do what we do. And ultimately, I think that Matt's vision is – to use the game of basketball as a vehicle to improve the lives of kids and trying to figure out how do we do that in a way that best serves everybody. And by everybody, I mean the kids, the coaches, and ultimately the game of basketball itself. And so I really found him to be a fascinating person. Uh, he and I have, uh, are going to connect again here shortly because I'd like to pick his brain more just from a standpoint of what he's done with his youth program out there with the C, uh, CCV stars and just how he's gone about building that program up to what it's become. So from a perspective of a business owner uh, you know, I'm intrigued by the model and what they've been able to do out there. Obviously they have a multi-sport club, which is something that not everybody who's out there running a basketball or a soccer or a football business can do. But it's definitely an interesting concept that I think makes a lot of sense from the standpoint of kids can go from one sport to the other, to the other. And as a business owner, you don't feel like you have to force them to play year round because they just move on to another sport within your club. And yet, I think at the same time, um, if you just look at what he's doing from a basketball perspective and kind of giving kids these different tracks that relate to the USA basketball youth guidelines. I think that's something that we've lost in basketball today. Everybody, at least where we are. And I think from talking to people across the country, and when I say everybody, I'm talking about parents primarily um, want to get their kid into this track of, I've got to get them on this travel team. I've got to get them in this elite program. And, And I I used to say this before I had my own kids, that I just don't believe that there are that many nine-year-olds who want to practice basketball three times a week and then play you know, six games on the weekend. There just aren't that many kids who love basketball that much. And I was a kid that I loved basketball that much. And I was a kid who could never get enough. But when I was in high school and even when I was in college, the guys that were on my teams didn't love it nearly as much as I did and didn't want to play it and practice it and do the things that I did. And those were guys who had a lot of success in the game. So now you're talking about, you know, if you're in a community and you're talking about the 40th best fourth grader, I just don't, I just don't (laughs) buy that those kids want to take things at as serious a level as some of us parents might want those kids to. So I think there's a better model out there. I think what Matt's doing definitely is, uh, is a model that can work. I just listened to a podcast today. I don't know if you ever listened to the um, way of champions from the changing the game project with John O'Sullivan. I don't know if you ever no. I have to one. it's but,
1: way of champions,
0: uh, way of champions. That's a great one. Um, the, the uh, John O'Sullivan runs the changing the game project and he's got a great blog that I frequently share uh with my readers on my blog when i when i post something from other authors but uh he had on i believe the man's name was nate baldwin and he is the youth sports program director for the city of appleton wisconsin and basically he talked about how they've sort of transformed their recreation program from being sort of a last resort for people who can't make one of these elite travel programs into a first choice by selling a set of core values that uh, incorporate, you know, skill development, incorporate balance between the sport and family. And then, uh, you know, also with through coach education. So they try to teach their coaches and give them practice plans and support so that volunteer coaches want to come back and aren't stressed out about what am I going to do and don't have to do, you know, go on YouTube and research and figure out drills and all that stuff. All that is provided for them. And just to make their programs a destination rather than a fallback for people who don't get an opportunity to play, you know, on the travel or the, you know, the summer club circuit. Uh, And I think that what he's showed is that in the last four years, their program has grown tremendously, kind of the same type of growth that Matt King's had out in Arizona where if you're clear and you articulate your vision of what you're trying to accomplish, you're going to attract a lot of like-minded people that want the same things that you do in terms of, they want their kid to be able to participate yet. They also want to be able to have family dinner. They also want to be able to go apple picking on the weekend. And again, there are some kids that travel program or elite summer basketball is right for those kids and you know certainly those businesses should and continue to you know will continue to exist the problem is i has been that there's a there's a big swath of kids where that's not the right program type for them and so i think that if we can figure out a way to provide basketball to kids who have all different levels of seriousness that's what's going to create you know, a situation where the game's going to be able to grow and and you're going to have more kids participating and wanting to be a part of it. And to me, that's really what it's all about. I mean, I love the game of basketball. I want to do whatever I can to try to provide the kids that come to our programs with the most positive experience that we possibly can. And the goal is always to have fun, to teach them something about the game, and to make sure that they want to come back and do something else. And that's not necessarily come back to – our camp or our program, <laughs> excuse me, but to just want to continue to play the game of basketball, and I think if we've done that, then then we've been successful, and that that to me what is yeah, it's all
1: about basketball. development over winning, um, and that's <laughs> that's hard that that's that's hard to implement sometimes, and
0: it is, it really is because I think parents, a yes, lot of times, yes, what I've found what I <laughs> what I've found is is that you know the parents of kids that are in programs and I've experienced it with parents uh, of kids that my kids have played with, that there's such a premium placed on being on a team that's going to win and, or being with a club that's going to win, or, you know, we have to have this player and not that player, I have to be with this coach and not that coach. And, you know, people lose sight of the fact that, you know, your record when you're in fifth grade, nobody's going to remember that. And what really matters is the coach and are they developing the players in the right way? And by that, I mean, are they teaching them the game and teaching them the right way to play so that they're equipped when they do get to middle school or they do get to a high school program that they have the basic fundamentals and the understanding of what it takes so that a coach at the next level above that can take what they've already learned and continue to build on it. So to me, that's something that I think people overlook. And then the second piece of that is you want to be able to teach something beyond just the game right. of basketball. And so one of the things that I try to do as anytime I'm coaching a team, uh, I try to do it with my camps, is to teach something more than just the game of basketball, whether that's talking about sportsmanship, whether it's talking about character, whether it's talking about honesty, whether it's talking about culture, whatever it may be we try to incorporate those things into what we do. So not only are you learning the game of basketball, but you're also taking life lessons away from being exposed to what we do so that it improves your life off the court as well, whether that's at home with your family, whether that's at school, whether that's eventually at your job or whatever other activities you, you know, get involved in. If I can teach a kid to shake an adult's hand and look them in the eye and be able to have a conversation And I've taught that kid something that's going to be far more valuable than whether or not they can shoot a left-handed layup when they're, you know, when they're 14.
1: Yeah. And and I feel like on a, there's nothing to be done on a national scale, but if I can do it in my small community, uh, maybe get a program. Of course I already coach, you know, I already coach my high school and middle school team, but if I can get a youth program going on here, which I'm really definitely looking to do and, and create that culture and you do the same thing in your area, Bit by bit, I think something it'll change over time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think it's a challenge. I think you're 100% right that, you know, a lot of times when we have these kind of high level discussions, you know, you think, ah, that's, you know, it's such a daunting task to be able to, you know, reframe the whole, you know, youth basketball space and be able to get people to understand why the current system maybe isn't the best for everybody. And yet at the same time, I think to Matt's point and to the point that you're making, is if we can all make an impact in our small little area of the world, then we're making an impact on those kids that we are able to touch. And then slowly as word gets out and people understand exactly what it is that we're doing and they're seeing that there's success out there, then it does provide for people to see that there's another way of doing things and they can see what those benefits are. And I think that again, one of the challenges is to educate parents and a lot of times you have parents that are going through it for the first time. They don't know even what the landscape is. A lot of times they don't know what questions to ask. They don't know who's reputable, who's doing a good job, who's not doing a good job. They don't honestly know what they're looking for. Uh, They don't even know, am I looking for, do I have a kid who's really talented that might benefit from, you know, a certain program? Do I have a kid that just wants to go out and play with his friends and run up and down the court? Uh, You know, a lot of times parents, and their expectations or their desires are oftentimes different from their kids. And I know that's one of the things that, you know, I've always had to be mindful of with my own kids. Uh, you know, I loved that basketball so much. I was a kid that, you know, it was all I did uh, from the time I was, you know, in upper elementary school when I was younger, I played everything. But by the time I was in seventh grade, I was all basketball all the time and you couldn't give me enough. And none of my kids have that share that same, degree of passion. They all like the game, but they don't share that same degree of passion. So as a parent, I have to find myself and I have to make sure that I'm, that I'm checking myself and making sure that what I'm asking them to do or what I'm having them do is not for me, but rather it's something that they want to do. And it's a challenge. And I know that I've read tons of things. And so I'm educated about the, the pitfalls of doing that. And yet I still find myself occasionally, you know, wondering, am I pushing enough? Am I not pushing enough and and trying to figure out that balance. And obviously I have a tremendous amount of experience in, in dealing with this from all sides of the equation. And so I can only imagine what it's like for a parent who doesn't have the background in playing the game and coaching the game and administering programs like I have, if I find it to be this challenging, I know parents who are going through it for the first time, find it to be extremely challenging to make a good decision about again, where's the right place and what's the right program. What am I looking for? when I go out and try to find somewhere for my, for my child.
1: Absolutely. And of course I, I started the, uh, what we call our future Titan basketball program here and it's K five. And my job is to coach all the parents on how to teach your kid the game. And it's amazing. It's like, and it's not about the same old story. It's not about winning. Um, But you know, when they write, get out there, they're, they're looking at that scoreboard. Um, and that's something that I'll be honest with you. I think we're better off K five is turn the darn scoreboard off and focus on, all right, how many number of passes did you make? I'm at that point where, you know, we got to start emphasizing different stuff.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, I think it has to be, it has to come down to, it has to come down to education in terms of educating the parents about why what we're doing is valuable and when you can get to parents and you can help them to see that, hey, development is really what we're trying to sell here rather than trying to sell winning. And again, don't get me wrong. Everybody likes to win. I'm as competitive yeah. as the next person. Uh, every, every time I stepped out on the court, I wanted to win. And yet at the same time, there's ways that you can sell development. There's ways that you can, as a coach, Make sure that you're helping your players to become more skilled, and ultimately, if you have more skilled players, we all know you're probably going to win more games. And so, again, it, there's there's different ways of looking at it in terms of a varsity basketball coach looks at things much differently than a recreation second grade coach should look at things when it comes to when it comes to winning and losing. And I, I think that one of the things that I'd like to see with you know, with younger players. And I've talked to this, we've talked about this with a couple of coaches and it's one of the things that we try to do at our camps is, you know, we only play half court games and we try to make them small sided three on three, maybe sometimes four on four, depending on, you know, the size of the group, but it eliminates all that time running up and down the floor, especially if you have, uh, you know, depending on the size of your gym, if you have kids running up and down a high school floor who are eight or nine years old, You know, they might as well go on exactly because they're, they're, you know, the the amount of time that they get to spend with the basketball is very, very little. And when you compare that to, you know, a bunch of kids playing three on three, there's so many more touches on the ball and so many more opportunities to do things. And so I think that that's one of the things that if I could, if I could make one sweeping change in the basketball landscape, I think I would make it mandatory that kids don't even play full court games. I, I could make a good argument even up until sixth grade, that our basketball development as a country, as a whole, if you suddenly eliminated five-on-five basketball up until seventh grade, I think the product that you would end up with would be much better. You'd have more kids staying with the game because it would be more fun because they'd get the ball. I think they'd develop their skills much better, again, because they just would get more touches, more opportunities to be involved in every play, more opportunities to defend in open space and to me, that's one change that I would love to see. Now, it's never going to happen because obviously people want to see, quote, the real game of basketball. But but I can make a very good argument that we'd be better off as a basketball country if we played a lot more half court basketball with our young kids.
1: Yeah. And well, you're you're not alone because I, I agree with the same thing. And there's a lot of other coaches that that definitely agree as well. Mike, I appreciate it, man. I know you, <laughs> I know, um, you're probably, you're probably going to go ahead and start on your new podcast. I'm sure, man, you are <laughs> we're not, we're not, we're
0: not, we're not recording it. We're not recording anything else. Tonight, so <laughs> good. Uh, we, 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 cl- we cleared the decks to get on championship <laughs> with you. So, um, so we got, we, we did our trick-or-treating with the family early, got everyone to bed and then, uh, you know, excited to be able yeah. to jump on and, share some, share some things with you. So we appreciate My thank,
1: thank you for, um, first of all, thank you for starting your podcast. And I, I know you're doing a great job. I did, I'm connect, I'm connected to you because you're a PE teacher, man. And you're a coach.
0: right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Uh, you know, I th- you know, you see somebody out there that's doing similar things to what you're doing. I think just from, you know, the short time that I've gotten a chance to listen to a couple of your episodes, since you got in contact with me, And then, you know, having this conversation, just getting an idea of what you're all about. uh, I think we share a similar vision in terms of being able to serve coaches, being able to get out there and make a positive impact on the kids that we come in contact with. And I think that I'm guessing that one of the reasons why you started your podcast was to be able to spread your impact beyond just the kids that you could touch directly. And that was one of the things that I was really excited about with, You know, when I started writing my blog a few years ago, and then when I started doing the podcast, that, you know, there's a lot of ways that you can touch kids directly when you're coaching them out on the court. But I think there's also an opportunity to be able to reach out and have a positive impact on the game to a wider audience. And that's what I hope that we're doing with the Hoopheads podcast. And I know you're doing it with yours. And so uh, I wanted to say congratulations to you for what you've done, because I know it's not easy to put things together and prepare and get all the tech work in the right way so that you can get the everything out there and, and really be able to share and have guests that appreciate what you're doing. So I want you to know, I appreciate the opportunity to come on and share a little bit about what I've done and what I'm going to continue to do. And I know you're going to continue to have great guests and do things. And if there's ever any way that I can help you in what you're doing, um, obviously never hesitate to reach out. Yeah,
1: Mike, thank you so much. Of course, I'm learning from the best, man. I listen to you every day. So I'm learning from two of the best, man, you and Jason. Uh, but I well, we appreciate, uh, I appreciate what you're doing. And keep up the great work, man, because every time you have a new guest on, man, I'm I'm, I'm contacting them. So I, I really appreciate that. And uh, I love mentors. I have some great people help me out along. And I'm, I'm trying to share and help some other coaches out who um, – who are starting out and so forth. But I appreciate everything you're doing.
0: Yeah, thank you. Uh, it's been a pleasure to be on. I know that we have we have a lot of guys coming up that we're, we're scheduled out through mid-November twice a week. And then uh, I've got a list of probably 30 people that I haven't reached out to yet that we're going to continue to, you know, hopefully get this thing going and, and keep it going and grow our audience and grow our influence. And, you know, I hope you're able to do
1: that. Yeah, yeah for sure. And good luck to your Cavs, man. I'm sorry about all the – all this stuff going on, I, I think.
0: <laughs> well, here's how here's how we're looking. Here's how we're looking at it. So we uh, – I, I people out there who, you know, have listened to our podcast, we, we did a little NBA preview podcast, and I predicted originally the Cavs to go 42 and 40. And I really thought that if Kevin Love could stay healthy, that, you know, they had the makings of a team that could hang around the bottom of the East. And then after they started 0-6 – Jason and I recorded the zero uh, eighty-two <laughs> Cavs emergency pod, uh, where 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 I revised my prediction to zero eighty-two, and then they went yeah. and won the next game. So, uh, I, I'm, I'm I'm right now. I got to say, I am honestly in full-on tank mode because uh, I think when you're in a small yeah. market like we are, your only your only real opportunity to to build a championship contender is to be able to draft one because you're not going to get. You know, LeBron was a obviously an anomaly because not only is he you know, one of the greatest players in the history of the game, but he also was from here. And so that enabled us to, you know, get him back after he left. And, I, you know, that's a unique situation that's probably never going to happen again. So uh, the only way you're going to get that guy in here again is to be able to, you know, win, uh, you know, win a lottery or get a top pick and, and get lucky and get, get whoever that next guy is going to be. So uh, I'm I'm going to watch and hope that their young guys can develop, but I will not be sad as they – as they lose games because hopefully it'll get us closer to the top of the draft and an opportunity to get somebody that can get us back All right, right. Yeah, you don't
1: yeah. call that tanking do you
0: <laughs> no i don't call it tanking. I, I don't I don't know if I got it does not <laughs> call it as long as the team themselves yeah. don't call it tanking. They can call it they can call it they can call it a youth exactly move Mike thank
1: you so much. I appreciate you taking the time out man You're good welcome, luck guys. with everything and uh you know I, I appreciate it again. Have a great night thank you.
0: You do do the same, Kevin. Thanks a lot. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Thank you. you. Bye now. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. The five players on the floor function as one single unit. Team, team, team. Right? No one more important than the other.